Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. You are listening to a Shabbat sermon by special guest Rabbi David Ingber, senior rabbi at Romamu in New York City. Rabbi Klikfeld mentioned this morning, the word interruption. It's a really powerful word to be interrupted. Interruption is such a powerful theme during this time of the year because in this week's Torah portion, which begins, of course, with the priests and the commandment that they aren't to become defiled or tamay, whatever that word means, to come into contact with a corpse, with, with death, except in the instance of certain krovim, certain relatives, and the Torah will bring us through other topics and themes that seem to be disconnected until they'll arrive at the holiday cycles, which were just beautifully read by Stan. And in the midst of them, there's the commandment that we are embodying at this moment. Usfartim lachem, mimacharas shabbos right? Sheva shabbatot t'mimot You have to count seven full shabbatot. And the word t'mimot, which means complete or full, tamim, invites the halacha that if anybody is interrupted in their counting, that it isn't tamim. Somehow interruptions are a pagam. Somehow it it makes that which is whole, I don't know, less whole maybe? But then lo and behold, over the centuries, the Jewish people indeed interrupted these sheva shabbatot t'mimot, these seven consecutive, tamim, perfect, wholesome sevens. Indeed, this past week, we celebrated Lagva Omer. And if anything is true about these 49 days or these 50 days of counting, it's that there's 33 and then there's 17. Really, the truth be told is we divide the 49 days of the Omer, or the 50 days counting up to Shavuot, into the first 33 and then the last 17. And that's been that way for a couple of centuries. It's true, we keep counting. But really, it's two separate periods. And the day that acts as the liminal space or the space of the edge of these two days or these two periods is Lagba Omer. It honors a particular character named Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The historical evolution of this holiday, I'm sure all of you are familiar with it to some degree, right? Something ended on the 32nd day of the Omer and thus the 33rd day becomes a very significant day. Rabbi Kiva's students, 12,000 pairs of them, 24,000 students, whether they were killed by a plague, as the Talmud says, or they killed by probably in a revolt, a rebellion against the Roman occupying forces, the student of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, becomes the hero of Lagba Omer. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai not only is the hero because everyone says that he died on this day, it's his Hilulah, but he's the hero because somehow he also becomes this figure in Jewish history who managed to bring down Torah, the Torah of the Zohar, the tradition attributes this remarkable book of Jewish mysticism that our academic scholarship says was probably somewhere in Spain in the 13th century. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son Elazar are given this unique moment in Jewish history that they brought the Zohar, according to the tradition, into the world. And the story in the Talmud in Masachat Shabbat talks about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son Elazar. They're renegades. They're on the run from the Romans. Many of you know this story. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is critical of the Roman occupying forces, and from that moment on he's branded a rebel, and he has to run away, and he runs to a cave. 
This story appears, by the way, on the 33rd page of Masechet Shabbat, Lag. And in this story, Shimon Bar Yochai and his son live in Plato's cave. It's beautific, it's perfect, it's blissful. There's a carob tree and there's an amat mayim, there's like a little like stream of water. All of their needs are met. They're living, right, off of the of the fat of the divine hand, right? It's all beautiful, it's bliss. And after 12 years living this way, the story tells us, the legend says, that they were given a reprieve. Elijah the prophet comes and says, you know, the Roman emperor has died, you can leave. 12 years have gone by. And they leave, and they go out into the world, and they see a farmer farming. And they're so disappointed. They're so angry. Here they were in this cave learning Torah day and night. The story has it that they were up to their necks in sand. They only put their clothing on when they had to pray. And they come out into the world and people are busy with the messiness of the world. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, this great hero, says out loud, They're giving up their, their eternity the bliss of the cave, of Torah, of divine service, to what? Be involved with, with growing carrots and cucumbers, getting their fingernails dirty with the soil of the earth. And a bot call, a voice from heaven cries out, Shimon and Elazar, go back to the cave. Go back to the cave where you came from. You still haven't learned the lesson. And so they go back in for a year, the Talmud says, and after one year they come back out again. And this time, wherever they look, they see beauty. The Talmud recounts that they see an old man who is running. And they say to him, old man, why are you running? He says, I'm running because I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm doing a, I'm doing a good deed, I'm doing a, a spiritual practice. He says, well, what is it? He says, well, I'm, I have these two myrtle branches for Shabbat. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son Rabbi Lazar said, oh, okay, we got it. When we left the cave the first time, we felt that life interrupted our bliss. When we left the cave the first time, we were disappointed with the messiness of the world. We thought perfection was in the cave, and we hadn't learned that perfection included the cave. It included the bliss, and it included also the power of, of building. Did you come out of your cave to destroy the world? Rabbi Shimba Yochai and his son Elazar and the Zohar itself bring an integration of the spirit and matter and that's always messy. It's always messy. To come out of the cave and to be engaged in the world, to leave behind the safety that the cave offered invites contingency, it invites not knowing, it invites risk-taking, it invites... Old age, death. But the old man in the story was running. Kamirahate, the story says. He was running, he had a lift, and he brought two myrtle branches and said they are one. The cave and the world need to be integrated even if it costs you, because it will. This vision of interruption, not as interruption, but as part of that leaving the cave is part of the story, that working in the world is part of the story. I think it makes sense. It made sense for me of this week's Parsha in a way that I never understood it before. The Parsha begins with Kohanim, 
And the Torah says a general principle. All priests are told by the Torah, you are not allowed to come into contact with corpse, with death. But then it goes on to tell us prat, very unique exceptions to that rule. You can't come into contact with death, but you will have to. Your mother, your father, your brother, your sisters, your siblings. The general principle is interrupted by life. Like the counting of the Omer, which is Timimot, Tihiena, it is Tamim, it's wholesome, it's unblemished, except we stop on the 33rd day. Life is messy. It always struck me that the word Tamim is a word that's used when the Torah describes the ritual of purification from death. In the book of Numbers, where it describes the Paraduma, the red heifer, the red heifer is described as Tamim Tiyeh. Let that red heifer be Tamim, unblemished. And then the Torah says, You see that perfect, perfect Tamim, Tamim, perfect, perfect? Burn it. To remind yourselves that there's no way to avoid life's interruptions, there's no way to avoid life's messiness, there's no way to keep ourselves safe fully, fully, fully. It must be the case that to live is also to risk. The word tamim also backwards is metim, tam, mace. Backwards and forwards, there is no full without interruptions. There is no tamimut without having to come into contact with that which might be dangerous. And these are my reflections this week as we we all, I know, were in shock with what took place in Iran. And the lack of answers, the lack of anything to say, except that the tamim means both and. We open ourselves to the world with all of its risks, with all of its contingencies, which of course doesn't mean on any level that if we can avoid, we should. If we can fix, we will. But we hold the fullness of it together. That's what I'm thinking about the Shabbos, and this is what I wanted to share with all of you. As we try to make sense of and hold together the Lag of Omer, its interruptions, and the 17 days that are coming towards Shavuot, the fullness of the Sabbath is Shavuot, the fullness of those two myrtle branches. A Hasidic Rebbe named the Bnei Yisachar said that the word Tov is 17 in numerical value. Tes Vav and Bet 9, 6, and 2 is 17, and they allude to the 17 days between Lagba Omer and Shavuot. And he wrote that when the Torah says, Vayar Elohim Ki Tov, and God saw the light and it was Tov, it alludes to the hidden light that is in these 17 days from Lagba Omer until Shavuot. So I leave you with a blessing, a blessing that we all might be courageous enough to hold the 33 and the 17, the world of the cave and the world of shelter, and also the world as it appears to us as we begin to leave our caves, and the risk-taking that that involves, knowing that it takes great courage to live. It takes great courage to hold the not knowing that is a part of this admixture of life and death. Blessings to all of us as we hold the Sheva Shabbatot Nimot.
You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.